our thoughts on the messiness of Coachella, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and the voyeuristic nature of celebrity court cases, and why our full-time jobs should be side hustles. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Coach Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. We'd also like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi, how have you been this week? I've had a good week, Jazz. I'm actually surprised that you can hear me all right because yesterday I did four hours of karaoke followed by a party as well. So my vocal cords are really doing the most. Thank you. Wow. Who are you? I know. I don't know what's happened. I've had two bouts of socialization this week where I've just gone full Leo energy and felt like ready to party, (laughs) ready to talk to people. It's so weird. Oh, my God. Do you know your moon sign? Yeah, I am. Um, I always get a little confused, but I'm double Pisces and then I've got one Taurus. But you don't confused. know which one's which. Oh, I can quickly check. Let's check. Co-star it up. I'm a Gemini sun, Capricorn moon and Scorpio rising. Gemini, Scorpio, Capricorn. Capricorn yeah. Holy moly. Love that. I thought you did have some Leo in you. No, no I know. Tom's a Leo, but mm. I just... So I am Pisces rising, Pisces sun, and Taurus moon. Right. Interesting. Double Pisces. Yeah. Well, someone, because I made this joke quite a few times, like, oh, as if I'm not a Leo. And I had a lovely message from someone, which was like something along the lines of, you know, there's nothing more powerful than a Pisces who knows their self-worth or like like loves themselves or, you know, is fully in Pisces power or something like that it resonated sorry I don't remember exactly what they said but you know oh I love that we're glad to see it because I feel like you can flip-flop between like total um introvert and like you don't want to see anyone and then you can be opposite end of the spectrum completely um what about you how's your week been Yeah, it's also been good, very fun. It's been a blur, so I can't even really remember what we did. But I'm going to Brisbane on Tuesday for a friend's wedding, which will be lovely. They're actually listeners of the show. So congrats, Em and Sean, for Thursday. Then I haven't got married yet, but soon. So that'll be lovely. That's so sweet. It's back to our roots because we started this podcast when you were up in Brisbane and Mm. I was here in Melbourne. Um such an interstate podcast I might add like we we have we have recorded in three three different states love that should we get into pop culture land completely because last week we had that interview with Alira Potter which was incredible I felt so light and warm after our chat with them so we've got a lot of pop culture to catch up on right yes So number one, we have to all collectively breathe out a sigh of relief because Rihanna and ASAP Rocky haven't broken up after all. But we have to ask, why was the internet in such a frenzy because of literally just one rumor? So we need to walk through this messiness because it happened last long weekend. What did you think when you first heard it? Were you like, oh my God, this is so sad? Or did you think fake news? 
I actually kind of thought fake news and I'm not mm. just saying this in hindsight when this has all been dispelled, but I almost, I think I didn't want to believe it as well. It was like a beautiful, it was during a long weekend, relaxation mode, but like, I don't need to hear this, you know? And I was like, I just don't know. I don't think mm. so, but it really caused a ruckus online. It really did. People were going mad, but I also think people were just like going along with the joke and kind of mm. like the trending thing of the day. Um, but it all unfolded when writer Louis Pisano tweeted this on April 14. Rihanna and ASAP Rocky have split. Rihanna broke up with him after she caught him cheating with shoe designer Amina Mouad. Amina was responsible for designing Fenty's footwear offering and Rihanna is often seen in custom shoes from her own label. ASAP and Amina is not new though as she was seeing him years ago and also collaborated with him on a collection of shoes. Things apparently hit the fan at Craig's in LA. Allegedly, this affair happened during Paris Fashion Week. Ooh. Honestly, reading that, it kind of feels believable. Mm. You know, the person is giving kind of straight facts and giving a bit of context and history. And this is a fashion writer and influencer who's written for reputable publications and such. So I understand, I guess, why people were quick to jump on this. But it was so quickly off the back of Rihanna's um, Vogue cover where in her interview she was just gushing about ASAP and obviously they're expecting a little baby together as well. So it was interesting timing. The point where I was like, this is not real is when I think I saw a comment on TikTok or Twitter where people were like, um, yeah, they were having ASAP and Rihanna were having like a private conversation at a diner or like in a restaurant and Rihanna was crying. And I was like, as if Rihanna's like one of the most private celebrities of Mm -hmm. that time, as if she'd be having a private conversation about alleged cheating in public. That's just so stupid. So that's when I was like, no, this isn't real. That's so silly. My favorite thing that I did see was um, one of our friends, Mina. She posted a screenshot of her run, like her running app with her stats. And um, her caption was like, just run my fastest time ever because of the news of Rihanna and Asa. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is good fuel. A source who is reportedly close to the couple told TMZ a day later that the rumors are 1 million percent not true and the couple's relationship is still completely fine. But on April 16th, Louis, the person who kind of created this rumor in the first place, apologized. Imagine having to apologize for upsetting Rihanna. And also, let me just point out, this is like two days after the original tweet went out. So this came and went super quickly, but I'll just read some of Louis' apology now. I'd like to formally apologize to all parties I involved with my actions and for my reckless tweets. I fully accept the consequences of my actions for my tweets and any harm they caused. I have no excuse for it. I've been way too wrapped up in Twitter drama and unfortunately leaned into being messy as a brand, which is something going forward I'm going to move away from. I'm going to take some time away from Twitter to figure out what that looks like and how I can start using my platforms better as I've gotten away from using them for more positive work. Hmm. Wow. So they are actually a writer for like Harper's Bazaar. Mm-hmm. Their pin tweet is, I had the immense pleasure of interviewing Beyonce's stylist for Harper's Bazaar US. And they have about 20,000 Twitter followers. So interesting. I feel like that's not a good way to kind of get your name in the industry, like known for being a shit stirrer and like a rumor mill. 
because then people won't trust you and celebrities won't trust you to interview them. But I actually appreciate the shout out and the apology to like admitting that they got caught up in Twitter drama mm. because I think it's natural for a lot of people like in the Twitter sphere to be very like on Twitter and kind of not really mm. acknowledge that or realize that. So like that part of the apology wasn't needed, but I kind of like that insight. Yeah, Twitter's my least favorite social media site. I mean, aside from like LinkedIn. Oh, actually, no, Facebook. Okay. Maybe it's not my (laughs) least favorite, but it's like definitely down there. I only check it once a day, usually on weekdays for work because of work or when we're Mm. looking for tweets for Culture Club because I just find it such like a cesspit. (laughs) It's so negative and nasty and like messy. I hate it. Do you like it? I think you were especially on a side of that like negative mm. kind of Aussie journo yeah. of Twitter. Um, mine's broken up with, yes, I get that too, but I still have some like old One Direction mutuals from a while ago. So there's some cute things there. But I really want to lighten it up because it can be a good place. Like this is so random, but Hannah English, Skinfluencer and like Instagram extraordinaire loves twitter and she's like oh you just have to like curate the feed you've just got to work on that like Mm. there's potential there it's just hiding i love following funny like comedians and like female writers and and things like that like yeah after two years of it being cancelled coachella came back last weekend it's also back this weekend it has been messy to say the least what have you thought of coachella so far yeah the coachella revival feels very different no like from the fashion to how celebrities have interacted with it, with some of the news stories about it. Um, Yeah, it's giving a different vibe and Mm. we're going to just touch on some of our favourite highlights or lowlights from Mm. the festival. Firstly, I want to talk about the fashion. So I think it's very interesting to see how the fashion of Coachella has evolved over the years. And a lot of people have been saying online that Vanessa Hudgens is the one who created like the Coachella look of like kind of being there to be seen in clothes and like Mm. that being the look of the Coachella. And that's why she got in trouble with that. um, Yeah, people are going to die because she was talking about Coachella being cancelled. Anyway, I saw a very funny tweet by user at Balenci Cigarette who said, I miss old Coachella outfits, no thoughts, just boho aesthetic everywhere. And there's a picture of, of course, Vanessa in like a crocheted uh, top with denim shorts. They've got feathers in the hair. Um, who else? Oh, God, there's Selena Gomez wearing a bindi. Oh, God, next to Kylie Jenner. And Gigi Hadid. Kylie looks so different. I didn't re- recognize her. Yeah, so different. So that was the vibe probably like five to eight years ago and someone retweeted Balenci Cigarette's tweet and says now everyone looks like they're on the SWAT team so true oh my goodness I know it feels like a weird thing of obviously it's a very influencer heavy event a lot of fast fashion present but all these like random micro trends and like different subcultures were just appearing and it was like a weird like yeah like you said some SWAT team some really wild y2k outfits some very classic festival outfits i don't know it was just like a lot pedestrian tv also covered this one uh 
one woman who showed up and she said she thought it was a vibe, but she looked like people were saying she looked like COVID because <laughs> she had all these like things coming off her, like red pointy things. Um, but interestingly as well, this was the first Coachella since TikTok has been big. So I think that's definitely made an impact. And I think people are dressing for TikTok, uh, more so than Instagram. Also with TikTok, like it's all video, right? So you're moving and therefore I think you have to dress up even more because it's like a moving image. Whereas Instagram was like, you can take one pic and like that's done for the day. Mm. Whereas like there's so many, so much content you can make on TikTok. Are you a festival gal, by the way? Not really. I've never been to a camping festival. I've been to day festivals, which I always love. Um, but I don't even remember when my last one was. Actually, that's a lie. It was November 2019. Before shit hit the fan, it was um, on a winery in Victoria. Oh, yes. And like a little like Australian one. It was still really fun. I saw Tudor Cinema Club. Oh, so sweet. I mean, I asked this question because we're on the topic of fashion and I feel like the time for festival dressing for like me personally has passed. Like I used to get so excited to get dressed up for group mm. in the mood or whatever and plan out a fit and stuff. And I think the last couple of festivals I've been to, I've just like given up. <laughs> like I just kind of wear whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Is it is it still a, as, is it still a thing as much? Well, interestingly, Kylie Jenner, Kendall Jenner and uh, Hailey Bieber were at Coachella the first weekend and they showed up with like just little cute plaits in their hair, like white t-shirts and singlets, denim shorts, leather jackets, and like um, even just high-waist jeans. And a lot of uh, people on the internet were saying like how that's kind of shown up, all of the people who've kind of gone above and beyond in these like really cheap fast fashion outfits, like really extravagant. You're obviously never going to wear that again. And people have been like, watch next year, everyone show up in like a singlet with a leather jacket. So I feel like those kind of Gen Z celebrities maybe are going to bring back the simple paired back like denim short vibe with Coachella. But yeah, I do agree that it can be a young person's, younger person's game, like feeling that excitement to dress up. Yeah. And then it's also so different. I don't think either of us are cool enough to talk about like Australians kind of doof or like festival scenes you know like they're very cool like mm, parties that, that go on and people exhausting. I know but everyone like dresses super cool but I'm like yeah. oh I can't even uh, that's a world away I know, world yeah. away from us <laughs> speaking of fast fashion Revolve who's a fast fashion brand held their Revolve Fest a Coachella related festival that is invite only this year which kind of turned into a fire festival situation Yes, this is what we were talking about when we said that Coachella was very messy this year. So it all unraveled after Los Angeles magazine editor Joseph Karpsch tweeted this. Influencers stranded in the dirt with no water under the hot sun for hours waiting for buses that were coming to bring them to the actual festival. Security had crowds of influencers yelling how important they were and why they deserved the first seat. I do want to add, I've also heard on first-hand account that that is exactly how it went down. <laughs> who do you know who is there? I will not reveal my sources. <laughs> Revolve released a statement saying that we sincerely apologize to all the guests who are impacted. We always strive to provide a great experience and we promise to do better. One of my favorite TikToks out of this, I don't think it was actually the Revolve Festival itself, but it was 
an influencer. Her name's Remy on TikTok. She um, does these like realistic uh, videos of kind of fast fashion clothes uh, on a size, I think it's a 14 or 16 in US. But anyway, she's like very funny, very charismatic. She's really become big this year. And she's posted it on Instagram and a TikTok. And it's like Instagram versus reality. And it's this video of her and a friend uh, getting driven in a golf cart. And like, obviously, it's the middle of the desert and driven in a golf cart. And she's just crying. <laughs> she's like, I hate this. And it's just like some really crappy, like EDM music playing on there. She's oh they're God. getting like driven on this like shitty buggy. Have to find it and post it if I can. But I feel like that just kind of sums it up. Like, Coachella is very, not that I've been, but I feel like it's. Like everyone wants to be there, but then when you're there, is it really good? Is everyone having fun or are you just looking like you're having fun? I want to just quickly like politely ask everyone like, are you actually having fun? You know, like, are you okay? Um, Emma Chamberlain actually did a podcast episode about her experience and she's just kind of giving general festival advice. But it was funny because it was just like festival advice that applies to any festival, but just like everything's worse like you know she's complaining oh she's complaining but nicely pointing out that you know the lines for food and water are so long like your your shoes get wrecked like I had so many blisters like all this terrible stuff that's quite relatable about most festivals and I'm just like the memories are flooding back and I'm like oh yeah is this even that good and yeah, I also want to end on the fact that Revolve, even after this fire Festival-esque situation, um, their share price for the company actually rose 6%. So fun. Ugh. Okay, but the other thing we have to also talk about is the whole Timothy Charlemagne kissing situation that went on. This is actually one of my favorite little stories that came out of the week, hey? Me too. I loved it. So apparently Timothy kissed a stranger. Um, it's not confirmed, but it's rumored to be Nigerian model and activist Sarah Talabi. And in a statement given first to page six, she said, everyone is asking me if I was kissing Timothy Chalamet at Coachella. And that is a good question. But a great question would be asking our world leaders why the earth is now losing 1.2 trillion tons of ice each year due to global warming and why climate crisis reform has been completely ineffective. I encourage you to contact your local representatives and ask them that. I am fully obsessed with her. Like this is the perfect Earth Day slash Earth Month content as well. Um, like what a person to give attention to as well. Like I'm glad that I know of her now. She's got over a million Instagram followers, so obviously quite well known. But what a cute way to handle the situation. Before we get into the next segment, we would just like to put a content warning here for domestic abuse and violence. It's currently the second week of actor Johnny Depp's defamation trial against his ex-wife Amber Heard, which is expected to go for six weeks. Johnny is suing for $50 million over an opinion piece written by Amber in the Washington Post, in which she claimed to have experienced domestic abuse. Amber is countersuing. So I've been seeing quite a bit about this, especially on Twitter this week, and it feels very complicated and intricate in the sense that, you know, this has been going on for a few years. There's been so many different parts of their story. And to be honest, I actually don't know the details of it. So it's really nice to be able to go through this and just mm. see what's actually happened that's led to this point. Yeah, I agree because it all kind of started coming out towards the end of the Me Too movement. Well, obviously that's still going on, but like 
around 2018, 19, where I had kind of personally um, become a little desensitized to these stories, like just from a, a female perspective, like I actually can't give energy to those stories after like so much of me too. But um, so I agree that like I didn't know where this kind of began and how we got to where we are today. So we'll just quickly go through a little bit of history on the couple. So the pair first met in 2009 on the set of their film, The Rum Diary. They then saw each other again two years later during the promotion of the film. Then a year later in 2012, Johnny and his ex-wife, Vanessa Paradis, aka the mother of Lily Rose and John Christopher Depp, split up. Johnny and Amber then began dating and became engaged in 2014. In 2015, they married in a private ceremony in LA. But just 15 months later, Amber filed for divorce, claiming that Johnny abused her under the influence of drugs and alcohol. He denied the accusations and a $7 million settlement was reached out of court in August 2016. Amber then donated that money to charity. So at that time, they both released a joint statement together and that read, Our relationship was intensely passionate and at times volatile, but always bound by love. Neither party has made false accusations for financial gain. There was never any intent of physical or emotional harm. So then in 2018, we get the op-ed for the Washington Post written by Amber, which was about the treatment of women in domestic abuse cases. She didn't mention Johnny by name in the piece. And this was, of course, as I referenced earlier, just after the peak of the Me Too movement. So then in 2019, Johnny began to sue Amber over the article, claiming it cost him acting work, which it did. He was fired from Pirates of the Caribbean 6 and also from um, the Harry Potter franchise. In 2020, Depp also sued the newspaper The Sun over another 2018 article claiming that he was violent towards Amber. So now it brings us to April 12th of this year, um, the date that the case against Amber actually began. So yeah, we're talking only a couple weeks ago now. So, so far, Johnny has testified about his experiences growing up with an abusive mother, his struggles with substance abuse, and his tumultuous relationship with Amber. He also acknowledged in um, his testimony that he and Amber had arguments during their relationship, but said, quote, never did I myself reach the point of striking Miss Heard in any way, nor have I ever struck any woman in my life. It's also important to note, because we're only two weeks into this trial, that Amber hasn't had her say yet. She hasn't testified yet. This uh, So far, we're just hearing um, Johnny is being kind of put on trial at the moment. One part of the trial that has caught the internet's attention, specifically, is during this week's opening statements, Amber's lawyer claimed that the actress carried Milani Conceal and Perfect All-in-One Correcting Kit with her throughout her, quote, entire relationship with Johnny end quote, and suggested she'd used the makeup to cover injuries from his alleged physical abuse during their relationship. But, oh my goodness, Milani Cosmetics actually then made a TikTok video about the trial with the soundtrack International Super Spy by the Backyardigans and confirmed that the correcting kit was released in 2017, whereas abuse was alleged to happen between 2012 and 2016. Yes, we will post the TikTok so you can see it for yourself. It is very good marketing, I think, to kind of jump on the conversation. Um, there are some very funny comments in the video. I will give that to people. They One person says, OMG, this is like when Elle Woods cracked down on the case because of the perm. And another said, 
Milani said, get my name out your mouth. Like, it's so funny, right? But I'm wondering, like, can this influence maybe not the outcome, but like parts of the trial? Because this is evidence. Yeah. And I love that they did it like through a TikTok video and then they might have to like show this video in court or something, you know? Yeah. I think like his lawyers might show the video in court, which would be such an own. Um, such an own. Am I 12 oh, years old? Yeah, you're like, you're like <laughs> pwned. <laughs> I was like, okay, Jazz. <laughs> so obviously this video is quite funny and clever, um, but I do think it does speak to the viral nature of trial cases, especially in America. And interestingly, this case is being televised live and fans have now poured in their support for Johnny Depp and made hashtag justice for Johnny Depp trend on Twitter. I've also seen fan edits on TikTok from this trial as well uh, with, you know, videos from the trial kind of clipped together, videos of Johnny and Amber, and then it goes like, oh, maybe it was to As It Was by Harry Styles. And it's like, you know, those transformation videos. And then it goes, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the same as it was. And it goes to his relationship with Winona Ryder from mm-hmm. the 90s. So things like that where I've been like, okay, like interesting. <laughs> and it's like almost, oh, God, like it, it feels like a people are spectating sport. Mm-hmm. Like on my Twitter it's very much like, you know, this is happening, that's happening, and people are rooting for one side or the other and it's and it's become just like yeah another story in the pop culture cycle but of course this isn't the first time a celebrity trial has made waves in the media and been publicized to such a high level. One of the first kind of massive celebrity televised trials began in 1995 when former NFL player OJ Simpson was charged with the murder of his ex-wife Nicole Brown and her friend Ronald Goldman. Obviously, we don't have time to get into a whole another trial right now, but if you want to know more, I really recommend watching The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story on Netflix. It is so incredible and it features David Schwimmer, a.k.a. Ross from Friends, as Robert Kardashian, uh, one of O.J.'s lawyers and kind of how the Kardashians got their name in the first place. And also Sarah Paulson as um, The People's lawyer. It's very, very well done, made by the same people who did American Horror Story, Ryan Murphy. Um, Anyway, so I read an article for The Guardian titled The O.J. Simpson Case, 20 Years Later, Making Trials into Television by Lila Raptopoulos. In the article, they interview Paul Thaler, who is the communications department at Adelphi University, and Paul has written two books about the impacts of these cameras. So in the piece, he says, I was intrigued. I thought this was a new genre of television that we had never seen before. The courts were the most conservative of our institutions and those laws basically opened the floodgates. He continues, Court TV made trials into television, surrounding them with commentary, sidebars and anything else to add hype. It positioned the viewer as a 13th juror. We all became jury members watching that trial and we thought we knew more than those people on the stand. I think that quote is very powerful and still is relevant to today. It's relevant to the Johnny and Amber case. And like we do it every episode on this podcast, like we analyze things in the media and pop culture and we do make judgments. And yeah, I think, but when it comes to court cases, I don't know. Do you think that court like cameras should be allowed in court? 
Well, it's so different in like um, like America and here in Australia. Mm. Again, I don't know too much detail about our system here, but, you know, we're very strict on trial by media. So we don't really talk about court cases and such until after mm. it's been done. Again, not getting the details completely correct there. And I think there's like merit in that, right, because all this, all what's happening can sway the case for better or for worse like we wouldn't have gotten milani cosmetics weighing in (laughs) if this wasn't being publicized so what do you think i agree with you as well i mean australia we have such strict defamation laws i don't know i'm in two minds about it i think on one hand it can be dangerous and damaging because the whole point of a court case is to get all evidence from both sides And if you start making judgments after only hearing one side of the story and, you know, Twitter or whatever kind of runs with that before a decision has been made or before the second person has had their opinion, not specifically Johnny Namber, but just in general, I think that can be damaging to people and institutions, but it does also keep people accountable. So it's a tricky one. We just have to be careful not to use this for entertainment or memes like we've seen a lot of in the last couple of years because this is literally trauma for both parties being laid bare in front of the world and Johnny himself has like broken down on the sand a couple of times and he has to listen back to all these awful recordings that we are privy to. It was like a private argument and now I myself have heard them on Twitter. Like, So obviously it's a very tough time for them and their families. And I always want to recognize, especially when we talk about stories like this, it's not just how we talk about Johnny and Amber, but it's like the flow and effects for other people who are victim survivors of violence of any sort. Like this is really important the way we talk about it because it's not just about these two individuals, it's about a whole community. Okay, so one topic we love talking about on Culture Club is girl boss sentiment. We love talking about the changing face of work and career, especially as two ambitious women, I would say. But between me and you, Jazz, and also with some of our other friends, we've kind of had conversations around how the allure and the shine of career is somewhat fading or at least changing shape. Yes, the great resignation, widespread burnout, anti-girl boss sentiment and the pandemic are all things that have fed this fatigue that we are seeing in our circles and online as well. We recently saw a TikTok trend and you wrote about it for Refinery29 that is about treating your full-time job as a side hustle. The TikTok user Kimmy says, quote, I'm on a mission of reframing how I think about work. And considering my full-time job to actually be my part-time job and life to be my full-time job, what am I going to do for myself tomorrow? Am I going to work out? Am I going to talk to a friend? Am I going to go on a walk? So we actually both saw this video quite a few weeks ago now and at the time we kind of both like chatted about it and was like, oh my God, this is such a great reframing of ideas. It's changed how I've been this past week. But I want to know like a few weeks on, has this stuck with you? Has this kind of mentality shift actually made any difference? I think it has. I mean, it's hard to say because we've had like two weeks of public holidays. So I think that does make an impact. Um, but I definitely try, have been getting up earlier. So getting up at like seven rather than eight fifteen. Um, 
and going for a walk before work and making sure I go get a coffee and um, maybe like doing meditation or yoga before work and then after work like trying to make plans during the week with friends just to like have something to look forward to and to make sure I'm making the most of my time and remembering that work like a full-time job should only really be eight hours a day and you have time around that so obviously it's also coming from a place of privilege neither of us have children you know we are just really focusing on ourselves right now so yeah what about you Mm, I mean yeah I loved it when I first saw this video and it was a really nice mindset shift because I was like okay I'm just and it was always small things right it was like yeah like you mentioned going for a walk or maybe baking something or calling Mm. a friend and that like became highlights of the day also going for a run got Mm -hmm. to mention but then I think it like it's just not affordable for so many people because in the past couple of weeks I've been doing like a lot more let's say freelance work so I literally it feels like you just don't have the time for Mm. this um but there are some people in the comments of the TikTok video who praised it as well one comment read I've been doing this for about a year and my mental health has greatly improved I schedule my hobbies like their work it's tough but doable Um, another comment read last spring I started thinking of my full-time job as one of my clients now I'm fully self-employed like I dreamt of mindset shifts work yeah I think mindset shift is the actual thing here like it's kind of under a veil of a TikTok thing but like really it's just about reframing your time and your energy like unless you're really rich you have to work so like it's kind of like making the best of it right yeah and like the reason why because this isn't groundbreaking right Mm. but like what I found really intriguing was kind of having this mindset shift in the like bucket category of work as well because work is just so central to our lives Mm. and I kind of like how this trend doesn't dismiss that or be like just don't care like work should be nothing but it like recognizes that wait we spend so much time and energy into work shouldn't we put that into ourselves which is yeah kind of what I wrote about for R29 as well so something I've been talking about to you and our friend and colleague Tiffany is that I've started meditating more which I used to never be able to do because I would kind of it's like what you've been talking about on social media as well about like letting yourself change and saying like oh I hate footy like I'm not sporty and then like actually we're enjoying like going to footy (laughs) or like you used to shop fast fashion and now you don't like those Mm. things I used to always be like my brain's too busy to meditate like I'm just too extroverted I just my brain never shuts up I'm too anxious like I'm just not good at it and like I've tried to started up again but without this pressure of like oh my brain needs to be completely silent I can't have a single thought if I think about what I'm having for lunch that day then I've like stuffed up and you know what was even the point I kind of eased into it by listening to meditation stuff on Spotify when I wake up and I'm still laying in bed and it's nice because I just don't put pressure on myself and I'm just like I'm just going to listen to this and try to meditate and try to they're kind of all around like gratitude and like thinking positively And I just try to listen to them before I start my day. And sometimes I do really well and other times I'm barely listening and I'm just thinking about my life. But um, I think reframing that as well of like starting hobbies and new experiences without the pressure that you have to be amazing at it straight away or even any good at all, like it should only really be for you anyway. 
has also been something I've learned this year as well. Oh, no, I love it. And um, I feel that as well. I think there's something so freeing and it's such a nice feeling starting something new or being in a space where you actually don't know what you're doing. That's why I actually really enjoyed going to the footy the other week. And I was like, I don't understand the rules, but I love not knowing and kind of just being there for the vibes or just, you know, there's like the space to grow and to learn. Same as the other week I did some tufting, which is like, you know, those cool, like happy rugs that you see. So I'm just like doing weird hand <laughs> movements, but um, like the fluffy kind of woolen yeah. rugs. That was so fun to kind of just do and mm. kind of make it poorly. And like, it didn't look very good, but I was like, oh, that's okay. Like other people came in with Pinterest boards that they had spent hours curating and had like such a, a goal at the end mm. of their head, like, uh, you know, they had such a goal for this purpose and I didn't have that. And I was like, Oh, so nervous. But I was like, let's just create, let's just do. Let's just do. I love that. And I think that's something we are getting better at this year. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us too. And I mean, this is a natural segue to let our followers know that we are taking a little break, a little, maybe three week break mid autumn I guess break it's not even winter yet um yeah so we will be back and <laughs> sorry we have recommendations not going yet <laughs> it is time for recommendations is there something that you've read watched or listened to that you want to share yes last Monday Easter Monday I took my 10 year old cousin to the movies in Melbourne to see The Lost City So if you haven't heard about it, The Lost City is a kind of action comedy movie starring Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, Daniel Radcliffe. No, not The Rock. Oh, my God. Why do I not know this? So sorry. Continue. Oh, I feel so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I was just silently judging you the whole time. Like, oh, my God, you you went to see like one of the Rock's movies. You're thinking of Jumanji. I'm, is that the one? Yeah, I'm so sorry. I well, it's kind back. of similar vibes, so I don't blame you. But the plot is reclusive author Loretta Sage, played by Sandra Bullock, is a writer who writes about exotic places in her romance adventure novels, and they kind of they're kind of like erotic fantasy novels and they feature a handsome cover model named Alan, who is played by Channing Tatum. So while they're on tour promoting her new book, Loretta gets kidnapped by an eccentric billionaire, aka Daniel Radcliffe, who is kind of meant to be like um, like a Murdoch son. So he's part of the Fairfax, funnily enough, Fairfax Media Empire, which is a media publication, like a media uh, business in Australia. So I'm surprised they could use that anyway. So it's meant to be like the Murdoch Empire. He's a son and his brother got given like the family business and so he wants something of his own and he kidnaps her because he hopes that she can lead him to an ancient city's lost treasure from her latest story. You find out in the um, through the movie that she's not just a romantic novelist. She knows hieroglyphics and she knows how to read um ancient carvings and she's you know has this university education so determined to prove that alan can be a hero in real life and not just a pretty face he sets out to rescue her and it is such a funny movie it's it's light-hearted and 
but also really sweet and endearing. And there's a good amount of action to kind of keep you on the edge of your seat. There were some points where I actually had to turn away because like, (sighs) you know, they were like going through little caves and I'm like so claustrophobic or like, you know, in those classic movies where like the water is filling up the cave Mm. and you're like, oh my God, how are they going to get out? Stuff like that. But then Channing Tatum is also so sweet and he kind of, his character reminds me a little bit of his character from She's the Man where just that kind of like, well, towards the end of She's the Man where he's like just very sweet and open. Danny Radcliffe is very funny as a billionaire. He keeps his British accent, which um, adds to, you know, that whole aesthetic. But, yeah, if you're wanting something that doesn't take too much brain power to think about, there's no kind of overarching mess, like super serious message. It's just one of those movies that you you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be tied up in a neat little bow. But there's a lot of twists and turns where I was like, this is the end of the movie. They finished it. And like things just keep happening. It's also not totally predictable as well. So there you go. Loved it. Would watch again. Oh my God. No, I actually want to watch that now. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's, good. And it's actually performed pretty well in the box office as well. I was like looking up numbers for something else. And yeah, it's doing well. So oh, that's good. they're onto something. Yeah. And what are you recommending today? What have you watched, listened to, loved that you want to share? Well, if you're looking for something that you kind of do need to think about and it does have overarching themes, <laughs> unlike The Lost City, I would love to recommend Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is a new A24 film that was only released in Australia a couple weeks ago now. And I loved it so much. So basically, I'm going to only give like very little of the plot away. I went in not even watching the trailer, so I knew nothing. Um, But it is about a Chinese-American immigrant woman played by Michelle Yeoh who struggles to keep her laundromat afloat, her family together, and her taxes in order while she grapples with the collapse of the multiverse, which she is in charge of saving. So I know you just a little bit scoff there so it is very much not scoff but like more just like jesus like that's poor woman (laughs) (laughs) grappling to save the universe like that's heavy oh i know i know um that is immigrant mums for you i feel like that is what they (laughs) all are like um but yeah it is a messy film in the sense of you know it's like marvel meets Minari meets The Matrix meets Turning Red. Like, you know, there's very much that sci-fi fantasy element. Yeah, it's also rooted in, um, I guess, family values and like Asian storylines and whatnot. So yeah, I watched it a week ago and I kid you not, I have not stopped thinking about it. It's literally my thoughts every day. It's quirky and it flips what we accept as reality on its head and just kind of offers a new perspective, I think. But the biggest thing for me, I think, was the central storylines that focused on Asian women as well as a queer child of um, immigrants. I wrote about the movie for R29 and also actually had a question box on my Instagram story wanting to hear what people thought um, if they had seen it. I found it super interesting seeing the difference between um, white people and people of color. Um, that's to say that everyone did enjoy it in my question box, but a lot of the commentary from people without the lived experience, it was more like, oh, great film, like so entertaining, like, wow, this was such a fun film which is all true, but then I feel like people who might, you know, have had more lived experience was like, this changed my worldview, Mm. like I'm bawling, like this was really like 
impactful to see you know it was like mm. it was interesting like that's just yeah. an observation that's not like yeah. a bad thing yeah. right even I was talking to Tom about it and he was like oh it's almost like a jealousy of just being able to watch a movie and just mm. have it as entertainment not necessarily yeah. like a dagger to the heart yeah um, I did want to just read out a little bit from the article just to summarize some thoughts um, as well as just to, yeah, give some perspective on how other people like on TikTok felt about it too. Videos of TikTok users sobbing uncontrollably in the cinemas because of the film's gut punch portrayal of the relationship between an immigrant mother and her daughter have made the rounds. To top it off, a track by Japanese-American cult musician Mitsuki, known for her poetic, tear-inducing lyricism, plays in the credits. At the centre of this messy, fast-paced and farcical film, is a tug and pull between Wang and her daughter Joy, a relationship that has a power to tear down multiple universes. It's almost laughable that this is what it comes to, that the world hangs in the balance because of a fractured mother-daughter relationship, but it's something that's overwhelmingly common. Throw in queerness and this fraught relationship is almost to be expected in some communities. For a queer Chinese woman like myself, there were parts of this film that were difficult to watch. The seesaw of seeking approval from your parents and honouring your own identity does feel earth shattering. So yeah, I definitely want to recommend this film. It's in cinemas now. Um, Yeah, really, really, really loved it. And I think a lot of people will enjoy it. I'm like scared to watch it because I'm scared I'm going to cry so much. I saw a quote from the movie on TikTok. It's kind of been doing the rounds. It's in another universe. Yes. I would have loved to have just done taxes and laundry with you. That quote made me tear up already. I'm like, oh my I God, don't think I'm prepared for the movie. Ja- that was when I lost it. Right. <laughs> like shaking. Okay. So it's like a pivotal moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so lovely. So I think you should watch it. It is like very fantasy-esque and it's like a little bit horror. Like okay. if you listen to the soundtrack, it's like so intense, but I think you can do it. Thank you. If you can, I can because we're both babies. <laughs> yeah, I had to look up. There was like a one part. I was like, ah, like cover my ears, cover my eyes. Oh, wow. That's okay. That's that. For a couple of weeks, we're going to have a little break, but hopefully we have enough episodes for you guys to listen back to. Listen to the interview with Alira. Love that chat. Listen to the interview with Wendy Seifert from Rise, especially if you're feeling down about um, eco-anxiety and climate change, especially after Earth Day. Very depressing. But aside from that, you'll see us online. Yes, keep well. Thank you again for listening. And we can't wait to be back in your ears later on. Bye. Bye.